Hi, my name is Madeline English, and welcome to the first ever Queer Agenda podcast. This is so wild that this is happening, genuinely. Like, I have been wanting to do this for so long, and so the fact that I'm, like, actually doing it and, like, pulling the trigger is so fucking cool. Like, I'm so excited. Uh, For those of you who may already know me... You already know my whole deal. I'm a queer historian. Um, if you're not coming from other queer agenda platforms, such as the Instagram or the TikTok, allow me to introduce myself. So my name is Madeline English. I already said that. Um, and I am a queer historian. So basically what that means is that I have a very unofficial sort of training education. I don't really know the right word for it. Anyways. I've been learning about and teaching other people about queer history for about six years now. Um, The Queer Agenda is a queer education um, organization that specializes in history, issues, and support is, like, our official, like, motto. Um, I don't know why I keep saying R. It's just me. (laughs) I've been running the Queer Agenda um, by myself since February of last year, February of 2022. Um, So it's all very new and cool. Um, but I love what I do, and so I figured I didn't have as much time on TikTok to do and talk about all the things that I wanted to do and talk about. Um, so I was like, I could do Instagram posts, but then those are still really hard for me to do and, like, design and make sure it doesn't look overwhelming. So I was like, I wonder if I could just do a podcast. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, so I'm very excited for you to be joining me if you're new. Um, I hope we learn a lot together, and I hope that you enjoy learning about queer history as much as I do. Um, so just to get, like, right into it, um, so when we talk about the word queer, um, and when we say the word queer, there can be a lot of pushback that happens, um, and a lot of almost, like, explanation that people ask of you when you say that word is because it is it is so easy to just see the history of when it's rooted in hate because we don't know anything else. You know what I mean? I feel like Gen Z has like a little bit of a better and more positive idea of what it means to be queer, but especially for our older um, LGBT population, a lot of them struggle with this label because it was kind of the root of a lot of bullying for them. And that's definitely, I'm not trying to diminish that trauma in any way, shape or form. Um, But I do believe that if we choose to be afraid of a word, we choose to be afraid of its history and we refuse to go forward, at least in this sense. That obviously doesn't track for every other word that has a tumultuous history. Um, But so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the word queer, the origins, why it's important, um, why it's been reclaimed in the past few years. And then I hope that once you know the history and you understand it a little bit more, that you feel a little bit more comfortable using it or explaining to other people why you choose to self-identify as queer if you do if you don't rock and roll man like I'm not here to tell you any different just do what you want um also my dog is walking around so if you hear um him or him barking hopefully I can cut it out but (laughs) I'm not sure so let's get right into it so the word queer first originated in 1513 and it actually in the beginning had nothing to do with uh homosexuality It originally meant something um, not normal, peculiar, or odd. However, the Oxford English Dictionary says that the noun queer 
was not used to describe homosexuals until 1894. So like a little bit of what I just said, but just like in a little bit more clearer of a sense. Um, it was used by the ninth Marquis of Queensbury, John Douglas. And Queensbury is a name that you might already know. Um, he's known for lending his name for uh, the rules of modern boxing uh, with Queensbury's rules. Um, and he was also involved in the downfall of Oscar Wilde. So that's what we're going to talk about. So Douglas first used the word queer when making allegations against uh, Prime Minister Lord Rosebery. So a little bit of background on um, John Douglas. So John Douglas had a couple of sons. Um, so Alfred was one of them, and his other son's name was Francis. So in October of 1894, Alfred's older brother, Francis... Um, died in a suspicious hunting accident, and rumors quickly began circulating that he hadn't been in a hunting accident, that he had committed suicide um, because he was having a relationship with the Prime Minister, um, Lord Rosebery. So Queensbury went on a rampage basically after that because he... I don't know. I think that there's probably a lot of grief that comes along with losing a child in that way. Um, I definitely don't think he handled it in a way that was appropriate um, because then he accused, quote, snob queers such as Roseberry for his son's death. Um, so that's really the first um, example of seeing the word queer in a negative way. So because he had lost his first son this way, um, and it had been so hard for him. He went on a rampage to protect his younger son. So his younger son was Alfred uh, Queensberry. So Alfred Queensberry and Oscar Wilde reportedly began a relationship in 1891 when uh, Wilde was married with two sons. I'm not discounting his relationship that he had with his wife. I'm just saying um, there were several reports of him having relationships with other people while he was with his wife. Um, Alfred was often described as being reckless and extravagant, and Wilde often funded these habits, and that led to issues within their relationship, and they were constantly, like, breaking up and making up. It was a whole thing. Um, these two, while they were probably a power couple of their day, they were not good for each other. Um, for example, there was one time when Alfred was staying with, uh, Oscar Wilde in Brighton. Um, and Alfred caught the flu and because they were together, Oscar Wilde obviously took care of him and nursed him back to health. And then he obviously caught the flu because he'd been taking care of his partner who had the flu. Um, and Alfred refused to take care of him. He actually left and went to a luxurious hotel and sent Wilde a letter saying that he was to pay for it. And while that's an awful story in its own right, it gets even worse because the day that Alfred sent the letter to Oscar saying that um, he was to pay for the hotel while he was sick, um, it was also Oscar's 40th birthday. <laughs> so not only was he sick, um, he was having to pay for two hotel rooms, his and um, Alfred's. So that just gives you kind of a good idea of who Alfred was. So Oscar would also give letters. He would write letters to Alfred and Alfred would just put them in his pockets, but he would forget to take them out when he would give clothes to male prostitutes. So Alfred would not knowingly be giving away Wilde's letters to him. And these letters would later be used as blackmail. So um, Douglas 
found out that there were allegations that Oscar Wilde had been dating his son in uh, February 1894. So um, he, Douglas, (laughs) left a calling card at Wilde's club. I'm assuming this is like where they played card games or like whatever went down in Victorian clubs. I don't really know. But he left a calling card that said, for Oscar Wilde, posing some domite like he misspelled sodomite so it's s-o-m-d-o-m-i-t-e which i'm kind of like if you're gonna insult me like at least do it right you know what i mean wild sued for libel because sodomy was a criminal charge at this time and the lawsuit led to the arrest and trial basically of oscar wilde so the trial opened this is the libel charge Um, The libel trial opened on April 3rd, 1895, and Queensberry's lawyers immediately went after Wilde's character in front of the press and public galleries. Um, One of Queensberry's lawyers, Edward Carson, painted Wilde as a vicious older man who took advantage of young boys with the promise of gifts and extravagant life and an extravagant life that would lead them into homosexuality. Which, I mean, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> Wilde was forced to drop the libel charge when Queensberry's lawyers told the court they intended to call upon several male prostitutes as witnesses to testify that they had sex with Oscar Wilde. Queensberry then won a counterclaim against Wilde for the money accrued for lawyers and private investigators in the organization of evidence. So basically, Oscar Wilde had to pay for the organization of his own prosecution, which is just like so shitty in so many ways. And as if that wasn't, like, bad enough, this left him bankrupt. He had no money left to defend himself. So, then, for one final blow, because it can always get worse, right? Queensberry sent the proof that Wilde had essentially paid for to Scotland Yard, and Wilde was charged and convicted of gross indecency under the Criminal Law Amendment Act of 1885, and was sentenced to two years' hard labor. Prison had ruined his health and his reputation, And upon his release in 1897, Wilde never returned to the UK. Oscar Wilde died on November 30th, 1900 at the age of 46. And he actually ended up outliving Douglas Queensberry by 10 months, which I'm kind of like, that's, I mean, good for him. He got the last word in. So after Oscar Wilde's death, Alfred became close friends with Olive Custance, um, who was a bisexual heiress and a poet. And they got married on March 4th, 1902. They had one child together named Raymond, um, and he was born on November 17th, 1902. Custison's girlfriend, um, Natalie Barney, was actually named the godmother of Raymond. So we kind of have like a love square happening here, or I don't even know if that's correct, because Alfred dated Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde married Olive, Olive was in love with Natalie, and that, but then like Alfred and... Olive had a son together, but then Natalie is his godmother. It's like a whole, like, it's like, um, like I need a flow chart or something to track these relationships. Anyways, it doesn't matter because Alfred and Olive would end up separating in 1913 due to their son's rocky mental health, but they never legally divorced. So they were together legally until the end of their days. Olive died on February 12th, 1944 at the age of 70, and Alfred died on March 20th, 1945 at 74. So then, jumping ahead a little bit, 19 years after the first use of the word queer in a public way, the adjective queer began to mean homosexual around 1914. 
The concise new Partridge Dictionary of Slang notes that it was, quote, derogatory from the outside, not from within. And I think this is so important because this was, I mean, we go back, we look at it, it was 1914. Um, so when they say that, that means that the word queer was embraced as a self-description before 1914. So even though Oscar Wilde was dragged out in public and shamed for being queer in a miserable, awful way, it's still possible that he positively self-identified that way and that many people did the same. I just, I don't know why that just blows my mind. Um, according to the 1949 printing of Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary, lists queer as meaning counterfeit money, since dictionaries shied away from definitions and words that could be considered offensive so that they could be used by schools to be given to school children. Um, however, the 1965 printing of Webster's New World Dictionary College Edition lists the queer noun and adjective as slang for homosexual, but not offensive slang. So again, we see both in 1914 and in 1965 that this is this is slang for homosexual, but it's not negative. I think that's so interesting. So Webster's New World College Dictionary, fifth edition, or the most current one that we use most often, um, and it's used by the Associated Press and many other news organizations, lists queer in these exact words. It says it's slang for homosexual, in general usage, still chiefly a slang of contempt or derision, but later used as by some academics and homosexual activists as a descriptive term without negative connotations. According to the Dictionary of American Slang, in the early 1990s, queer was adopted as a non-derogatory term in the spirit of gay pride. So between 1965 and 1990, there's obviously a lot that happens in the world. Um, there's a lot of liberation movements going around. There's a lot. There's just genuinely so much happening. Um, but the gay rights movement and the AIDS epidemic have helped historians trace the first positive adoption of the word queer to a group. Um, and this is not saying that they were the first ever group to do this or the first ever people to do this, but this is just kind of what we have on the books. Um, so the group Queer Nation was founded in March 1990 by Tom Blewett, Alan Klein, Michael Angelo Signorelli, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, and Carl Soholine as a radical organization to combat violence against homosexuals. Queer Nation was actually an offshoot of ACT UP, which ACT UP is AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, which was founded in 1987 as a protest group demanding more action to solve the AIDS crisis. Queer Nation was a group of young queer people who wanted change and were not going to wait for it to happen. For example, on April 20th, 1990, Queer Nation activists showed up in Macy's Herald Square department store where Olympic gold medalist Greg Luganis promoted a new swimsuit line. They arrived with Wheaties boxes with Luganis's picture cut and pasted on the front to protest um, the fact that Wheaties, as a cereal brand, for some reason, rejected Luganis as a spokesperson on the sole account that he was gay. Less than a week later, on April 26th, in response to a 120% increase in violence against queer people in New York City, like again, 120% increase within a week. That's insane. Um, in response to this, Queer Nation climbed to the roof of a West Village bar and hung a 40-foot banner that said, excuse my language, Dykes and Fags Bash Back. 
And on April 28th, after a pipe bomb exploded in Uncle Charlie's, which was a Greenwich Village uh, gay bar, and injured three people, Queer Nation mobilized a thousand queer people in a matter of hours. They were young, angry, tired, and unapologetically queer as they marched through the streets carrying the Dykes and Fags bashback banner. Because of their work, the word queer now means anyone not heterosexual. And I think that's probably the most common variation we see of it today, is just kind of as an umbrella blanket term. And I think that's, well, I think that's what it should have always been. You know what I mean? Like, I think that these kids in 1990 saw that we were being attacked and saw that something needed to change. And I don't think that many queer people of that time had a positive self-image and because obviously there's a lot of pseudoscience still flying around about being gay is a choice and you're blah, 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 you're going to hell. Like, so if it's bad now, I can't imagine how it would have been during the 90s because so many queer people, young queer people were dying of AIDS. Um, to really put it into perspective of like just how devastating this event was. Um, according to the Center for Disease Control, from 1981 through 1990, um, 100,777 deaths due to acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, or AIDS, um, were reported to the CDC. In 1990 alone, one-third of those deaths were reported, which means in 1990 alone, roughly 33,559 people died of AIDS. That's 92 people a day dying of AIDS, or four people an hour every day for a year. That is insane. That is apocalyptic level destruction. And that's something that I will never be able to really wrap my brain around, is just how many people we lost. And I think that that's also another reason of why it's so important to reclaim this word is because we were hurting then because we were losing so many people and there was such fierce debate over just of our existence just just the fact of us existing was cause for political debate and I think we see that now I think we see that especially now and it's not just queer people it's trans people it's people of color it's homeless people it's people with disabilities I think if there was ever a time to reclaim a positive adoption of the word queer, I think it's now. And I I don't know what it means for the movement to reclaim that word in such a way, but I do know that it makes me personally feel better about myself, knowing that I kind of have a history and generations of people before me who identified in the same exact way that I do. There's something about that that just feels so beautiful and homey and just like I don't know I just I really really love it and obviously that trauma doesn't go away overnight and I'm not expecting it to but I, I do think it's something that we should talk about as a community as a nation as a world I think it's something that's important to talk about and to not just shun people who don't say it or shun people who do say it I think it's cause for conversation and I think that's what our queer ancestors would want from us. Language is complicated. It always has. It always has been complicated and it always will be. I'm not saying that it's suddenly after 
50 years of this happening, it's going to become better. But I am saying that I feel like I'm talking in circles, but it's, it's at least worth consideration by people. And for me, like, being queer is such a beautiful thing. I've never known it as something negative or identifying that way as something negative. But I don't know. I was also born in 2001. So take that for what you will. Um, I just, yeah, I, it's a really long and complicated history. But, like, so is everything. Everything has a long and complicated history. So I don't really know what, how to end this. Like, nobody, this wasn't taught to me in... in my YouTube videos that I watched on how to start a podcast. Um, I hope that you enjoyed that lesson. I hope that you continue to tune in. I don't know how often I'm going to be posting these. I want to try to pre-record a couple and release them weekly, but after those run out, I can't guarantee when the next one will be up, but I will be trying my best um, to get them up at least twice a month, if not once a month. I am still a college student. <laughs> um, so once we figure out that schedule... We'll be all good, but I I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. And um, once you're done listening, you can follow us on Spotify or wherever you're streaming your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the Queer Agenda Fifteen, um, as in 2015 when Overveld v. Hodges went to the Supreme Court. Um, that's a little Queer Agenda lore for you. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks for listening. Um, I will hopefully hear from you guys very soon. Also, if you listen to this, tag me on Instagram and, like, let me know what you thought. Did you, were you surprised by anything you learned? Did you learn anything new? Do you think I should just, like, never record another podcast again? Like, let me know. I'd love to hear it. But, yeah, until then, talk to you guys later. <laughs>